welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. My name is Micah. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors at Awaken. I want to invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 5. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be some in the back there. Uh, just as you do, if you're, if you're not from around uh, these parts, there are some silver buckets on the table. If you came and are ready to, to give uh, to what you, what you think God's doing here at Awaken and what we say God's doing here at Awaken, I want to invite you to do that. Um, that's something that's a part of our life together, and obviously it's very important. It uh, means a lot. So all of the newcomer cards and all that stuff can go in the buckets there. Oh, if you, if you uh, I've, I've been given a message from our finance people in the back room. Um, they're not actually in the back room. It's a phrase. Um, but if you're if you give cash and you're using those envelopes, can you put your address on there? Because uh, obviously we can't send you a statement if we don't have your address, right? I get that right. Perfect. Okay. So First John chapter five. Um, oh, but before I do that, we have a new baby in our community. Hey, oh yes. I didn't have anything to do with it. Um, Toph and Christy have a new baby girl. Uh, her name is Lael Gislaine. Did I, did I get it? Are you close? It's French. It's French. Toph grew up in the... What's, you say it. There you go. Okay. Toph is not supposed to be here. Um, he was at the hospital, and we had an emergency here, and uh, he bailed us out. So, um, But if you know that Louise, you can uh, wish them well. And I think that uh, Whitney and um, Kathy are doing some meals for them and stuff. So if you're interested in that, all that goes together. So congrats to you guys. Super excited for you. First um, John chapter 5. Verses 6 to 8. Why don't you stand and we'll read a couple of verses and we'll jump in here. It says this, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Pray with me if you would. God, as we open your scriptures and your story, Uh, We ask that you might um, make yourself known to us, available to us. I feel like I pray this every week, but as we we open this ancient book, would you make it fresh and alive and three-dimensional? Would you come up off the pages of this book and speak to us in our context and our culture right here, right now? Uh, We pray these things in your name by the power of your spirit. Amen. You can have a seat. Here's what I want to do today. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm basically going to give uh, two small teachings that don't have anything to do with one another. Okay? Uh, as, I, as I prep for this, this, this text and this teaching, I, it was, I had two things going on. One is kind of what's actually going on in the text. It's a bizarre text, this water, blood, the spirit thing. Um, the, the, the writers uh, or, or the commentators on this text are all over the map on what's going on here. So I, I don't assume to have it nailed down. I want to offer a, f- a few thoughts on what's going on in the context. And then I'm going to take it in a completely different direction based on an experience I had and that, that sort of weaved its way into this text. So that's what I want to do. Um, so the first part, part one is verses five to six, or f- chapter five, six and eight, uh, in context. So here's what we have to remember. As we look at this text, we have to remember uh, where and who is re- John's writing to and who's getting the letter. So these are churches scattered through Asia Minor, which is Turkey, kind of northern uh, Mediterranean. And this is, these, are, these are small groups of people, um, like first-generation uh, followers of Jesus. Probably not first-hand uh, eyewitnesses or apostles, but these are the next generation of folks trying to figure out how to live and be followers of Jesus in the world. 
And they are, uh, there's, a, there's a group of people that the commentators have kind of made, they've given them the name, the cessationists. And there's, these folks are basically like teaching things or, or leaving things out of the gospel that the apostles and those who are kind of trying to uh, not guard and protect, but care for, steward this news about Jesus. And so they're saying like, you can't leave that out. And if you do leave it out, it's a different gospel. So there's this group of people, the cessationists, who are either teaching different things or leaving really critical things out of the gospel that uh, John and others think are really important. And so there's this kind of rift that's happened between John and the people he's writing to and these groups, this group of folks who are kind of leaving or doing their own thing. Like Sesame Street, one of these things is doing their own thing, right? You remember that? So John writes to talk to these people and says essentially like, listen, these things are really important. And, and, and he writes to encourage the, the, the Jesus followers to say, listen, this is, this is, the gospel at its core. If we lose anything of this, then we kind of lose the gospel. So that's who he's writing to and why he's writing. Now, they, these two groups of people agreed on a lot of things, but they disagreed on a few things. One thing they did agree on, and we get this from the text, that Jesus came by water, right? So John says that Jesus comes by water, and not only by water, but by blood as well. So John says, Jesus comes by water, and we can deduce from the text that both groups, the Jesus followers of John and the cessationists agree that Jesus has come by water. Now, this is where the commentaries just sort of go in a million different directions. Like, what does that actually mean? I'll give you a couple, two thoughts that I think are the most plausible in just a second. But this is something that they agreed on. A number of things they didn't agree on. Uh, we've talked about a few of these, like the, the humanity and the divinity of Jesus, how those things are connected. The church had a uh, a real hard time with this all through the third, fourth, fifth centuries. A lot of the creeds that are written, a lot of the councils that happen are all discussing how do we make sense of Jesus' humanity and his divinity and hold those two things together. So John says, you got to have them both. And the, these folks over here were kind of saying, well, maybe not. You know, if Jesus wasn't fully divine, well, you know, who cares, right? Uh, and John says, no, it's important. So they didn't agree on some of those things. The eternal nature of Jesus, the fact that Jesus was God's son, eternal in nature. Uh, a few things they didn't agree on. Obviously, from this text, another one is that um, Jesus came by blood. So John says Jesus comes by water, but not only by water, but by blood as well. So we can kind of use our detective lenses on the text and say, okay, these two groups of people did not agree that Jesus came by blood. Now, I don't think it's very difficult to determine or kind of figure out what is John talking about with blood? Obviously, he's talking about the work of Jesus on the cross, right? The life, death, resurrection of Jesus and what that accomplishes. So John's saying, listen, if you lose this piece, like what happens on the cross and what happens through the blood of Jesus and what God does for us, then you lose an essential part of the gospel. And the cessationists were kind of like, well, you know, we're not really sure about that. And so John says, Jesus came by water and by blood because this is absolutely critical. So this is referring to the atoning, the saving work of Jesus that John and the other apostles care a great deal about preserving. Okay, everybody's still tracking so far. Now, let's talk specifics about the water. Again, uh, all kinds of different variant views on what the water meant. Here are two that I think are the most plausible. One is that the water is a reference to the baptism of Jesus. Turn to Matthew chapter 3, if you will. Back a few uh, books to the first gospel. Matthew chapter 3. And remember... Matthew uh, tells the story to mostly a Jewish audience, and so a lot of the way he sets up the beginning of Jesus' life is very particular to his Jewish audience. 
Uh, John the Baptist is baptizing people, and along comes Jesus in verse 13 of chapter 3. It says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, Listen, I don't need to baptize you, and, or, or I don't need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replies, Let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. That makes sense to everybody, right? As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was open. He saw the spirit of descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Very possible that John, 1 John, is referencing Jesus comes by water, that he actually experienced a baptism of sorts, or of not sorts, but a baptism by John in the Jordan River, in the water, the whole deal. Now, I've been, I've been doing some reading on baptism and its connection to ancient Judaism, and I'm telling you, man, this is juicy stuff. We can't get into all of it today, but uh, one of these days, I'm going to let this one fly, and it is just so fascinating. I mean, I grew up in, like, evangelical free church, baptism, it was, you know, adult immersion, dunk them, the whole deal, and uh, I always wondered, like, why did Jesus have to be baptized? That seems bizarre to me, and, and anybody I asked never gave me a very good answer, and so as I, you know, study more, I'm like, Let's ask, what does this mean in Judaism? And I'm, I'm telling you, this is juicy stuff. So it's possible, and I'm just going to leave you right there. I'm just going to leave you hanging. You're all kind of like, well, what is it? But I'm not going to tell you. At a later date, I will, I, will, I will unpack that one. Either way, very possible that the reference in 1 John is that Jesus comes by water. That is, he's referring to Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. Another possibility is that it's a reference to Jesus' baptizing ministry. Turn to John, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, a little bit to the right, John chapter 3. That Jesus, uh, that John's referring to Jesus' baptizing ministry, John 3 verse 22 says this, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where... Uh, where he, uh-huh, where he spent some time with them and baptized, right? And then uh, skip down to ver- chapter 4, verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees has heard, had heard that he was gaining, uh, was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although it's not, in fact, Jesus who baptized, but his disciples who were doing this. So it could be that John, 1 John is referencing this baptizing ministry of Jesus, that while Jesus was alive, his, ba- his disciples were baptizing people into something, that's the you know, odd part that I never quite got. I'm, unpa- I'm, I'm getting it, or I'm getting closer. And then, of course, after Jesus dies, the apostles and Paul and others, you know, command, like, be baptized, repent and be baptized, and so on and so forth in the book of Acts. So it's very possible that, that the reference is to Jesus' baptizing ministry. Now, again, the list goes on and on as to exactly what it's referring to. For our purposes, and I think the purposes of the book, what's important is that John is trying to convince a group of people of something specific about Jesus. Not only that Jesus came by water, but by blood. So maybe not the specifics of what did he mean by water, but back up a little bit and and zoom out a little photo. How you like that? A little photo out there. Zoom out a little. Thank you. Come on. Zoom out a little and, and look at the fact that John's saying, no, he, what he, he's saying Jesus comes by water and by blood and then he's going to do something else. So what he's doing is trying to convince this group of people of something particular about Jesus. Now, this reminds me of when I was a kid, um, my parents watched a number of different shows. Um, some of them I remember, Cheers being one of them, MASH. Did anyone ever watch MASH? Yeah, I never got MASH. I never got that one. 
But two that I remember specifically is my mom just loved Perry Mason. Remember Perry Mason? I think it was actually in black and white. It was about a lawyer. He was a lawyer, and he would kind of, you know, do the whole lawyer thing. It was like law and order, but retro law and order. You know, it was like only one guy and not all these crazy lights and newfangled things. And just, just Perry getting to the bottom of the truth, you know? So Perry Mason and then Columbo, right? You remember Columbo. This one's, you know, they kind of like show you how it happened and how who did it and how they did it. And then Columbo's like working through all the clues. And then by the end, of course, Columbo always figures it out. But in each of these situations, Perry Mason and Columbo, you had these people trying to convince somebody, a judge or a jury or whatever, or us, the viewers, of the truth. And they did so by gathering evidence to present a case, right? So they'd gather all this evidence to say, this is true, or this person's innocent, or this person's guilty. And they did that by gathering all this evidence to sort of present to you or to the jury. This is exactly what John's doing. I'm not sure about a lot in this text, but this one, is, is, I'm the most confident that this is happening here. In the ancient Near East, in a court situation, you had to have three different witnesses who would testify to something, and they all had to agree with one another. So if you were going to present a case to somebody in an ancient court system, or present a case to say this person's innocent, or this person's guilty, or whatever, you'd have to have three different witnesses, and those three witnesses would have to like all agree on whatever they were saying. And the pieces of the puzzle start to fall into place. John says, listen, Jesus followers, cessationists, God, people over here, this is who Jesus was. This is what Jesus did. Jesus accomplished what he set out to do. Jesus comes by water. He comes by blood. And the spirit testifies to it. And all three are in agreement. So what John's doing is essentially presenting a case to the people who were seceding, who were kind of off doing their own thing, to say, this is who Jesus was, and this is what Jesus did, and this is what Jesus accomplishes. So it's essentially a case by which John uh, tries to convince the folks of Jesus, the truth about Jesus. Now, let me transition this into part two, which is I'm going to take it in a completely different direction. But as I do, I guess I want to ask this question. John says, all three are in agreement. The water, the blood, the spirit. They're all working together. They're all saying the same thing about Jesus, that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the light, that he's the love of God, that he's you know, the divine son of God, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, all of these things. He's presenting this case about who Jesus is. And I guess the question I would ask is, what are the ways that we build a case for the truth about Jesus? in our world. If this is what John was in fact doing, water, blood, spirit, three different witnesses all in agreement, I guess I'd ask the question, what are the ways that we build a case for the truth about Jesus in our world, in our context? Street corners, bullhorn guy, you know, tracts, uh, sermons, churches, small groups, missional communities, uh, mowing the neighbor's lawn, art, literature. Now, what I'm not going to do is make any qualitative statement about the degree of efficacy of any one of those. I don't want, I don't want to make a judgment on any one of those, because I think at, at, at any point in history, all of those and any ones you want to throw out there have been used effectively to communicate and convince somebody about the truth about Jesus, right? This is the bizarre nature of the spirit at work, uses crazy crackpots like you and I, to communicate the truth about God. So I don't want to make any qualitative statements about what's good and what's bad. What I do want to, what I do want to offer is, is the challenge to think about 
how do you communicate the truth about Jesus? How do you, and, and, and convince is such a, it comes with a lot of baggage, so I want to, how do you persuade, how do you live a life, how do you do something in such a way that somebody who's not convinced becomes convinced about the truth that you believe about Jesus, if in fact it's true? A question I think is worth pondering for us as people who follow Jesus in our context, in our culture. I'm not going to tell you what to think. I'm not going to tell you what's better or worse. I just want you to think about it. How do we present Jesus to a world? If we believe that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did what he said he would do, how do we do that? Now, major shift of gears. Okay, I told you what I was going to do. I'm actually serious. That was part one. Here's part two. I'm going to shift directions And I'm certain, I'm absolutely certain that this is not what John had in mind when he wrote the gospel, when he wrote 1 John. What I'm about to present to you is so far off John's radar, it's not even funny. But I'm totally cool with that. You want to know why? I'll tell you why. What we're after is not the text in and of itself. We've talked about this before. What we're after is not the two-dimensional black and white or red, depending on your version of the, the text. It's not... What does that say specifically? And that's all we're after. What we're after is the living God of the scriptures that rises up out of this text and reveals God's self to you and I and to the people who wrote it and to the context he wrote it in. Okay, what we're after is the God of the Bible who rises up out of and speaks a new and fresh word. So it's very possible, I believe, that while this meant something in the original context, that it can also mean and take on new and fresh meanings for you and for I that didn't necessarily always line up one-to-one with the original author's intent. Now, there's ways that we can check how divergent is that view or how divergent is that new fresh word from other parts of Scripture, so I'm not saying anything goes, but I think this is, for me, as I read this text, God was doing something new and fresh for me, and so I want to present it to you. Here it is. Spiral dynamics. Anybody ever heard of spiral dynamics? So I'm in LA a couple of weeks ago, and I'm at this deal, and this guy presents this thing called spiral dynamics. And for him, it was fresh new stuff he'd been reading about and presented it to us, a group of pastors and leaders, as, listen, this is helpful in how to be a pastor and leader in the 21st century. Is that where we are? Uh, So I'll give you like a snippet, and then I'll try to make it make sense for you. Spiral dynamics is essentially a theory of human development. So it's a way by which we understand how humans have progressed throughout history and time and the different categories or ways, kind of groups of thinking that exist within human progression and human thought. Uh, one, uh, this is on, just off Wikipedia. It says, spiral dynamics argues that human nature is not fixed But humans are able, when forced by life conditions, to adapt to their environment by constructing new, more complex ways of seeing the world. Okay? You still tracking? So spiral dynamics just basically says this is how groups of people see the world and operate in the world and the tendencies they have, the lenses that they see the world through. And they use different colors to kind of... Uh, a, a phrase and then a color. So like the first one is archaic and it's beige. And this is like classic caveman. The only thing on this person's radar is where the next meal is coming from and how to propagate the, uh, the species, okay? That's pretty much it. Sex and food, nothing more. Archaic, 
beige, right? The next one would be red, or I'm sorry, purple. It's magic and mythical, and it's sort of this tribal kind of group think. Uh, it's this idea of fate and chance and luck and superstition. The caveman realizes that I plant these things in the ground, and if the rain doesn't come, nothing grows, and I'm dependent on the rain. I can't control the rain, so there's something else out there that I'm dependent on, and now a new variable enters the way in which I see and think about the world. You tracking? So they start to progress, and it just keeps going and keeps going from magic and mythical to power and ego. This is red, and it's like the authority rests in the person with the greatest power. Uh, these are sort of totalitarian regimes, and uh, some of the worst things that we've seen done in the name in human history, people would fall in this category of red. So on down the line, okay? We get to the end of this thing, and I say, this is all very interesting, because I've gone through a little bit of a rough patch. Our church has kind of had a little, you know, little bumps in the, along the way, and I'm starting to see people's responses through these kind of categories and lenses, and I'm like, oh, okay, that makes a little more sense, and this makes a little more sense, and things are falling into place for you. And I stop, and I say, all right, very, very interesting, fascinating stuff. I, I'm into that kind of thing, so I'm, really, I'm all in, right? But how do you get a group of people who come from all different colors, spiral dynamic colors, how do you get a group of people at the same table without them killing each other, without them trying to consume one another, not literally consume them, but without them trying to convince the others that they're wrong and they're right and that they should be like them? How do you get a group of people like a church on a Sunday morning who have all kinds of different colors present at any one given moment how do you get them to be unified and come to the same table and talk about the same Jesus and do the same work of God in the world, so to speak, on the same? How, is that even possible? And here is the response that I thought was just fascinating. He said, symbols. Symbols. Find something that everybody can agree on, for the most part, so, for example, I'm, I'm now role-playing on this person. He says, for example, at our church, we just celebrate communion as much as we possibly can. Water, or, or bread and wine. Jesus, death on a cross. God's gift, grace. Like, who can argue with that? You know, just simple symbol. We celebrate communion as much as we can. We celebrate baptism as much as we possibly can, right? Somebody coming up out of the water, ra- buried with Christ through baptism, raised to walk with newness of life, uh, you know, a, a fresh start, forgiveness, cleansing. Who can argue with that? So we just celebrate communion as much as we can. Symbols, communion, baptism. He said, we anoint people with oil as much as we can. People have been doing this for thousands and thousands of years, anointing one another with oil, symbolizing the presence of God and the spirit of God and the healing nature of God. So we just anoint people with oil as much as we can. He said, in order to get a group of people who come from different variant places and viewpoints to gather around something, one table, so to speak, might I offer that you use symbols to do that? And I thought, huh, water, blood, and oil. Water, blood, and oil. And now, 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 start taking on all kinds of new meaning for me. For thousands of years, Christians and and Jews, for that matter, have gathered around water, the symbol of water, baptism, a symbol of rebirth. When somebody comes up out of the water, this old way of life and being reborn into this new way of life. Symbol of cleansing and forgiveness, 
Somebody enters the waters of baptism and they come out cleansed. A symbol of a fresh, a, a clean start, a fresh start, right? Who can argue with water? For thousands of years, Christians and, and Jews before that in Passover have been celebrating a bread and a cup. And obviously it takes on new meaning for us on this side of the cross, the blood of Jesus. Who can argue with that? A symbol of sacrifice, of selflessness on, for Jesus on behalf of the world. A symbol of betrothal and commitment to, from a, a bride to a groom and this anticipating and waiting until they, they're united in marriage. A symbol of forgiveness, the forgiveness of God offered, the grace of God offered, the love of God offered freely, broken and poured out. Right? Who can argue with that? Um, and oil. For thousands and thousands of years, oil. People have been anointing each other with oil, symbolizing the spirit of God and the power of God and the healing presence of God. So this morning, what I want to do as we close is I want to kind of usher us into just a time of responding. There are three stations present here this morning. Uh, there's oil over here, there's water here, and there's communion uh, elements over here. And I want to just invite you to respond however you would like to respond, however you need to respond. If you want to go to all three, great. If you want to go to one, great. If you want to sit where you are, fantastic. And here's what I want to offer. If you came here this morning and you need just uh, the, the, the healing presence of God, or life has just been really tough lately, or maybe physically you need healing, something or, or, or something in your life needs healing. Um, we'll have a couple of people over here, and you can either uh, just receive a blessing, and they'll anoint you with oil and pray over you, or you can share uh, something that you'd like prayer for, and they would love to pray for you and with you. Uh, communion is uh, pretty self-explanatory. Bread and a cup. Dip the bread in the cup. Take and receive a gift that reminds us of the grace of God freely given, broken and poured out for you from a source that does not end for you today. Gift, grace. And this one is a little trickier. Water, baptism, right? We're going to go Ethiopian eunuch style on this one. And uh, if you don't know that story, it's uh, basically a guy who finds Jesus on a road with a guy named Philip, and uh, he's an Ethiopian. He happens to be a eunuch as well. And uh, he finds Jesus, and, and he says, there's some water. Why can't you baptize me? And Philip's like, well, gosh, I guess I don't have any good reason. And so they baptize the guy. So if you're here today, and you've never been baptized, and you want to be baptized, and um, we want to, we, in the covenant, which is part of the denomination we are, we'll both do kind of sprinkle baptism or immersion baptism. We, either way, uh, if immersion baptism is a big part of this for you, um, can somebody just give me a piece of paper and we'll put it up here? I was going to grab a sheet of paper. If you've never been baptized and you want to be baptized and you want to be immersed, then write your name down up here. And uh, if there are a few of you that want to do that, we'll just head down to the lake. Uh, we'll pick a day and we'll head down to the lake and we'll baptize you with the largemouth bass and the lily pads and we'll just dunk you right down there in a couple weeks. And we'll gather down there. It'll be great. If you want to be baptized today and the whole full immersion thing, you know, either way, it doesn't matter for you. Uh, and you want to be baptized, and you recognize this old life that's being buried and this new life that's being born in Christ, and that's like, I, I want to be baptized today. I'll baptize you, like, right here, Ethiopian eunuch style. 
you don't have to be the eunuch or from Ethiopia. So you get the picture. The other piece of this is I want to uh, offer a, a possibility of just remembering your baptism. And I participated in this uh, with some friends. In a, and, and so if, if you want to do that, um, then you just come and kind of place your hands over the bowl here and we'll pour water on your hands and just let the water kind of wash over your hands as a way to, to remember and connect to your baptism and the gift of God that's given and the grace of God that's given uh, freely to you. So if you want to do that, just come on up and put your hands over. If you want to be baptized, come on right over here, and we'll work that out when you get up here. Um, so let me just offer a, a blessing, and, uh, and then Ben's going to play for a little bit. And I want to just encourage you to participate however you want to participate. And uh, in a five, ten minutes or so, we'll sing one song together as we close. Um, so let me uh, offer a blessing and then stand or sit or do whatever you want to do, and uh, we'll just kind of respond. Water, blood, and oil. God of creation, um, God of the Bible, God revealed to us in Jesus. We come to you with uh, hearts that want to know and experience you. And so, God, I pray that in the next few moments as we participate in these symbols, of water and of blood and of oil, that you might, as you do and as you have done throughout the centuries, through the millennia, meet us. God, might these be... Uh, a symbol and a picture and a, a physical representation of the grace that we experience, the, the, a physical manifestation of the spiritual reality that we believe exists in you. So God, meet us in these places, we pray, and do your work. Touch our hearts, touch our souls. Um, be near to us, we pray. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.